Hello and welcome to the Tribal Podcast. We believe that true deep learning occurs when three things happen. You must one, understand, two, remember, and three, deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast covers the first part, understand. Complete this learning by getting the second and third part at mytribal.com. That's M-Y-T-R-I-B-E-L.com. So together, let's get the key takeaways from this book understood. Joining me on today's podcast is Shane Toomey, founder of OrganizationDynamics.ie, and their primary focus is on organization design that supports organizations to achieve their strategy through ensuring that they have the most effective culture capabilities, communication, and clarity of outcomes. And according to Shane, it's only by ensuring that all of these are aligned to the strategy can an organization increase its chances of success. And let me tell you something about Shane. Having spoken to him today and spoken to him another couple of times, this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to ensuring that there's alignment between the people, the strategy, uh, and the desired outcomes of the business. So today we're talking about the book Drive by Daniel Pink. And um, we learn a little bit about what Shane does um, and his philosophy behind uh, how he does it, I suppose. So, uh, on with the show. So, hello and welcome to this podcast with Shane. Shane, how are you? Good morning, Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, and then you can tell us a bit about the book that we're going to be uh, discussing. And uh, we can get into it then. Uh, so. uh, I'm an organizational design and development consultant, and I run a company called Organization Dynamics. Uh, what I do is I call organization by design. I go into companies and I look at their organizations and how they are set up to deliver on their strategy. So as I describe it is I look where the friction is in their organizations, how they're set up to deliver their strategy. And quite often you find that their organizations and their people aren't set up to deliver on the strategy. Quite often you find that their strategy would like their organizations and their people to be lined up in one particular direction, but their organizations yeah. and their people are lined up to deliver on, to, are set up to point it in a different direction and people will go whatever way their organizations are set up. So I'd like to find where, the, where those frictions and those tensions are. And I design out those frictions and tensions to make sure that they're lined up with the strategy. How did you get into that? My background is HR initially. So I spent about 15 years working across a whole range of different organizations from domestic industry, a packaging company. I worked in an American multinational. I worked in Siemens German engineering company. And the last company I worked for before I worked for myself was um, electricity company, which is now Energia. And then about 17 years ago, I set up on my own. And just over the, over the years, I got more and more interested in the organizational side of working with my clients rather than just the day-to-day HR side of it. So is it like the, is it the human aspect that, that really interests you? Like the, when you, when you talk about like organization design, does it really mean like, is that person doing the job, the tasks, the projects that they should be doing based on their It is, yeah. Well, or... what I found was when I was, when I was going into or companies and, you know, they were, you know, you were looking to say that, look, there's, there's a challenge that we're facing within with with within teams and within 
with individuals, quite often it wasn't with the, within the individual with the team. It was how the organization itself was was set up that that individual or that team could never be successful because the way the the whole organization itself was set up, that individual or that team could never be successful because they had set up the organization. They they had changed their purpose or they had changed their strategy or they had changed their mission or they had changed their objectives, but they yeah. had not changed the design of the organization. They had not changed the structures. So, for example, if my promotion is dependent on me achieving certain things, but the strategy wants me to go in a different direction, I'm still going to work towards the things that my promotion is dependent upon or my bonus is dependent upon or my what my boss would like me to do. Even if my even if the organizational strategy would like me to go in a certain direction, human nature being what it is, I will still go in the direction where my recognition or my rewards would like are pointing me in the direction of and that's what I call yeah. about friction you know so you the organizations have set up frictions they they the strategy wants me to go in a certain direction but the organization is designed for me to go in a completely different direction yeah and that set up tensions in organizations so what I do is I go into those organizations and I find where those tensions or those frictions exist and that's why I call what I do organization by design because you have yeah. to design the organization to deliver the strategy it doesn't happen unless you design it is that like i remember before like when i was doing job interviews like and you know whoever's interviewing would ask me like what what interests you like what's kind of what's your thing you know i used to always say that I, I like a box of wires i like give me a box of wires just to untangle to kind of unpick it all apart and that's what that kind of sounds like is that right well we've got a a tangled mess of wires here let's see if we can kind of pull out strand yeah. to strand yeah yeah you have to that's, set people up for success yeah yeah that sounds it sounds really interesting it sounds like um do you enjoy it like you still after 17 years you still enjoy it yeah i, I love what i do i mean I, I i'm five times longer working for myself than i worked in any organization i mean i yeah. worked the longest i worked in the company was three and a half years i'm working this month may 2022 i'm working 17 years for myself so yeah. you know I, I really really love it i love I love the freedom. I love the autonomy, you know, and the book that we're talking about today, Drive, yeah. is absolutely essential for what I do. You know, I mean, the elements yeah. of Drive are baked into what I do. Beautiful segue. Let's go. So Drive, tell us. Dan- good, Daniel Pink. That was good. Yeah, seamless. <laughs> seamless, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so go on, tell us. Uh, so Drive by Daniel Pink. I have it on my list. I have actually another book of his here, which is... Um, I don't know if you've heard of that one, The Power of Regret. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, I read his, I read his, I think it was his first book, uh, To Sell as Human. I thought that was really profound in, in the way that, you know, sales has changed and it's more about a collaboration than being a gatekeeper of information. So I'm fascinated with, with his approach to, to business. So tell us a little bit about, give us the overview of Drive and then we'll get into the details of it. So, I mean, D- Daniel Pink has a really interesting phrase that, you know, what science understands and what business do aren't the same thing you know and i really believe in that you know for for whatever reason how business sets up people is completely at odds with what science says how people are people are motivated and for 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 some particular reason there is a there is a complete disparity between our understanding of what motivates people and how business then sets people up in terms of our motivation. And the whole Fordian notion of motivating people, this what he calls motivation 2.0, the whole 
extrinsic motivation is baked into a lot of our how we reward people how we set goals for people this external reward system yeah. that you know we set goals for people and external goals for people and that if you achieve x we will reward you and so that's the core of what his book is and what he shows with in terms of looking at a lot of research that that works for to a certain extent but it falls down beyond a certain point and what he calls motivation 3.0 which is the whole notion of intrinsic rewards is what really drives people do you know what it he, reminds me of it reminds me of a manager i had in uh, he's worked for salesforce and i remember him saying he was brilliant I, he's one of my favorite managers at endeavor but he, he said you should try and be a good citizen and i always kind of imagine that like a good citizen of the company like you know do the right thing when somebody isn't watching and that's ultimately what you're saying there is that it has to be in, intrinsically motivated to do the right thing even if no one's going to know like because you're you ha- i guess you have drive to, to do it you have the drive to do it yeah and what's what he shows that there's a huge amount of research behind what he talks about so he's not just saying that look this is this is you know pink and fluffy stuff um th- there's there's a lot of, lot of fundamental research decades of research behind what he's showing that people extrinsic rewards will get you so far and are suitable for certain tasks and for certain purposes but beyond that they are demotivating factors yeah intrinsic rewards are what sustain people i i came across i was reading uh daniel pink's book drive at a time when a client a number of years ago were asking me to look at their rewards for their executive team and they wanted to create a bonus system for their top tier and i was reading daniel i was reading drive at the time and i'm going okay this is fascinating stuff about that if you create this reward system that is very very heavy objective focus what you're going to do is create divisiveness amongst your top team because they will be very fixated on achieving very very specific objectives to achieve this monetary these monetary aims but they may be at the det- to the detriment of the company yeah because one of the things that he shows from his research is that when you create very specific external objectives that are linked to monetary aims it narrows our ability to assess risk and there's research behind that mm. and if you look at the financial crisis we had we had massive amounts of money sloshing around the system in the housing crisis in the banking system and people were being incentivized massively to lend this money without massive amounts of due diligence on risk now that was a system systematic problem but also if you look at the research behind it it was also actually a built-in neurological problem because the research shows that neurologically our ability to assess risk is massively diminished 
when we have a very specific external objective that is linked to a financial reward. So with that team that you're talking about there, the, the executive team, what way did you approach it then? So, so obviously they still need some monetary reward as well, but like, how do you, how do you build in those intrinsic rewards or what does that look like on the ground? Well, what you do is you create a reward system that is, first of all, is tied to collective goals. Secondly, you create, you, you, you change the timeframes on the goals. So you don't reward short-term achievements. Uh, thirdly, you create contingent rewards. So you create rewards that are, that, that they create themselves that aren't necessarily rewards that the organization is creating from a, from a, if you do X, this will, Y will happen. So that is an external reward that the company is saying, we will create, th this is a goal that we will impose upon you. Yeah. So it's, it's the organization is saying, these are the things that we need to achieve. You come up with the goals and you come up with the objectives that are necessary in order for you to achieve that. And then we will reward you accordingly. So you're giving, you're giving the individuals control and over how it's how they achieve these. And then you're rewarding them accordingly rather than an external imposition of very, very specific targets. And then allowing, and then saying to the executives in this short period of time, if you do this, we will achieve you this. I and mean, if you look at the Western system of driving quarterly results that we, we drive, we have to achieve very, very specific targets every quarter. Yeah. And the stock market is driven by those quarterly results. I, when I worked for the American multinational, I mean, it was really, really interesting watching how the results were driven by on a quarterly basis. And one time there was a set, there was a particular, there was a, there was a situation where the biggest player in the market decided we're going to have a price war. So they drove gorilla in the, gorilla in the, in the industry said, okay, it's going to be a price war. So everybody had to respond because they're the largest player. So our particular organization, even though we made a profit that quarter and we had made multiple profits that quarter over succeeding quarters previously, we didn't make the profit that the industry expected and our share price went down. Mm. One of our competitors made a loss that quarter, but they didn't make as much a, pro a loss as the market expected Jesus. and their share price went up. Yeah. yeah and you're thinking, there's absolutely no sense in that. And that's when you're driven by short term goals that are extrinsic to the organization. And when you tie your executives to those very short term goals, they will make decisions that are based on that. And within industry, and if you look at Enron, for example, Enron is a classic case, okay? Yeah. Enron, when you walked through the headquarters of Enron, you literally 
walked through a lobby where they had their value system laid out in marble. Yeah. So they're, they're out in marble. You walked literally across the value system of the organization. You walked over their values. And that's what they did as an organization. They walked over their value system. Yeah. And the story is that at the board's board meeting one day, they they held a vote to suspend their code of ethics. So they voted to suspend the code of ethics. They made a decision to put to create these off balance sheet uh, financial systems. Then they voted to reinstate their code of ethics. Yeah, I, I remember hearing before that um, if if a company really does have values, values should hurt. They should they should be painful like that. Values yeah. like they, they should yeah. kind of keep it in line. That yeah. and actually, you know, it reminds me. I think we talked about the last time we were chatting as well about um, there's a book called Working Backwards, and it's all about uh, uh, Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And one of the things they say in that book is that the executives they get punished if they suggest something that's uh, will make a quick book. He's like Jeff Bezos had no interest in, in like a quick book. He wa he wanted that long term thinking to make sure that people, um, like it actually adds value to the company, not just like we make a cheeky few quid here kind of thing, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and that's what I like. I mean, that's what I. I mean, what what I'm finding what I find fascinating about Drive, you know, in the second half of Drive, once you move away from the notion of the moving from motivation 2.0 to motivation 3.0, you know. So just to, just just let me just right. clarify that there. Motivation 2.0 is extrinsic, extrinsic. motivation 3.0 is, is intrinsic. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Nice. You know? yep. And then he talks about in the second half of the book, he talks about the three different elements of it, which he talks about is mastery, which is, okay, sorry, he talks about, I'll rephrase that. So he talks about in the second half of the book, he talks about the three elements of motivation 3.0, which he talks about are having autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So autonomy is, do you have autonomy and control over what you do? So he talks about examples like that, which is one of the examples he gives is the idea of the results only work environment. So particular organizations that set up W or, or OWE and Best Buy, two HR guys from from Best Buy, the American retailer, came up with this notion of the OROWE, results only work environment, which is that you don't have to be in a specific place to get your work done. So you have autonomy for getting the work done. How, where, when to deliver your work. Mastery, so that the whole idea that if you have mastery, you achieve mastery of your work. So do you have something to aim for? And then finally, you have to have a purpose for your work. So it's not just good enough that you are at work. You must have a purpose for what you do. That's beyond the day-to-day. -day. It's beyond the humdrum. That you have to have a purpose. And there are the three elements of motivation 3.0. Is that hard to give people purpose? I, another book I read was um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Yeah. And, and it's really about just, you know, um, you know how, how to be 
how to confront people without kind of being mean about it, I suppose. And one of the things she says is that it's not a manager's job or it's not a, it's not a leader's job to provide purpose. And what you can do as a leader is you can, you can have that five-year plan, talk with your team, with each individual, but it's not your job to find purpose for them or to make them interested in their job. The job is just a job. So is that something you found that in your time doing this kind of thing that is that a sticking point talking about purpose with individuals like purpose purpose is an interesting thing for everybody and everybody gets purpose in different ways and i think where people fall down is that they think that everybody has to have this exact same purpose in what they do so i work with individuals an awful lot in organizations and i talk to them about the the whole idea about what you're going to do next and get them to focus on the whole idea of don't just sit here and think about okay what am i doing day to day you don't have to spend an awful lot of time every week or every month focusing on your career but that you should be thinking about what you're doing next and you should be focusing on the whole notion of that there is a greater idea of turn than just turning up. Yeah. And that if you have that idea in your head that I want to be something else than just a Monday to Friday, nine to five, that you are responsible for who you are. Yeah. Then you can create your own purpose. And Daniel Pink does talk about the whole notion of that when you go into organizations and you listen for the whole idea of we and they. So do you, and pronouns are interesting. And I had this when I worked in a, in a particular organization and I was working with managers and we were making changes, you know, and I listened to the managers. I always wanted to leave them with a sense of where are they going to talk about? This is something that we need to do or is this something that they want us to do? Mm. And if I could leave the managers with the sense of, okay, this is something that we need to do. I always felt that I was leaving the managers in a good place because that meant that there was a sense of, okay, this is a change that we ha- that is something that is necessary, but it's good for us. But if I had left them in a sense of, this is something that they want us to do, then they always felt that this is something that was being imposed upon them. So it's like um, uh, that expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink kind of thing. You have the people yeah. have to want to want to do something. Absolutely. And, and that comes down to time and what you're prepared to invest. And if you're prepared to put a little bit of time into people, and put a little bit of investment into them, then you can move from they to we. So when I was working in the last job before I went out on my own, I was working with managers that were on shift. And when I, when we needed to make changes, I would go to those managers that were on shift and I would come in in their times And I'd sit with them and I'd explain the changes and I'd work it through with them. 
because they would have to go and explain those changes to their teams. Yeah. And I didn't think it was fair that I'd just give them the communication that they'd have to explain it to their teams and leave it with them. I wanted them to understand it because they would be the ones who would have to field the questions from their teams. And I wanted to leave it with them so that they could go when they had those questions. No, this is guys, this is something that we had to do because it's good for us. Not, and if I felt that if they were going to be saying, this is something they want us to do, I was failing in my job because I wasn't giving those managers, those shift managers, the time. And I think that's what Daniel Pink is talking about. You know, that whole notion of intrinsic value, that you have to put that effort and time in, that whole notion of autonomy and mastery and purpose. And me putting that time in was that whole notion of purpose, making those connections to those managers so that they understood there's a purpose behind what we're doing. I remember hearing a story before very similar to that about a, uh, I think it was a startup that were growing quite quickly. And when they'd started, they had a small sales team and there was a particular commission structure in place. And as the team has grown, the structure wasn't going to work. You know, it was, you know, wasn't sustainable. And um, I think the, the senior management team said to the sales team, look, we're going to have to change the commission structure. Some of you are going to make less money. Some of you are going to make more money, but we want your input. Here's why we're making this change. We want your input. What they also said, which I thought was really interesting, this is not a democracy. You're not going to be, you're not going to make the decision. We're going to make the decision, but we want your input. And they got that buy-in from the sales team really early. And then they went into the office, closed the door and came out and said, this is the decision. That is what we've decided to do. And some of the people kind of were like, like they suggested would make less money because of whatever way they structured it. But everyone bought into it because they were involved in the process from the very beginning, rather than someone's coming out the door and saying, this is the new commission structure. So I think that's, it's all like everything we do here at Tribal is it's all about that human connection. Like, and like you said, taking the time to talk to people and to make sure that they understand the reasoning behind the decisions and, and being involved and helping make those decisions. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you know that you have to reach a certain destination, but there are many different routes to that destination. And you can include people in the journey and say, okay, well, let's figure out how we get there. But we know we've got to go to a particular place. Yeah. So, and that's the change journey. And that's where the human conversation comes into, as opposed to the human imposition comes into. And what I find really interesting about drive at the moment is over the last two years that the whole idea about autonomy and mastery and purpose has come to the fore with the idea of working from home with the idea of the four-day working week and the hybrid workplace and everything that we've experienced in the pandemic and like we all fell off a cliff yeah two years ago a little over two years ago where for years organizations were saying, oh, it's impossible for roles. It's impossible to be able to do this. It's impossible for you to work from home. Yeah. And then suddenly in March 2022, it became very possible for people to work yeah. from home yeah. uh, because we had to. Yeah. And now we're trying to figure it all out. And we're two years later and organizations are slowly grasping with, well, what does this mean for the future? And what does this mean in reality and what does this mean post-pandemic 
and are they going to stick with it or are they not going to stick with it? And some organizations are being very upfront about it and saying, okay, yeah, absolutely, this is what we're about. For example, SAP globally have taken us on board. They've appointed a chief future of work officer, yeah. which I think is an amazing thing to do. So they've said globally, this is the way of the world. They're not saying that everybody is going to be working from home permanently, but what they're saying is there is a hybrid world out there and we have to adapt to it, but we are going to make it work for ourselves. Other organizations are saying, no, actually, we want people back in the office full time and we're going to take the consequences of that. And the financial institutions, for example, in New York and London are saying, we don't believe that having people working from home is right for our organizations. It's kind of like the, like the last couple of years, people have been forced into that autonomy, like, well, there's nobody looking over my shoulder. So I guess I have, and then, do you know, as well, it's interesting, the nine to five is, is gone. Like that, that idea of, of you sit down at your desk and you make widgets until five o'clock, it's ridiculous, especially working from home. Like it, like the amount of parents I meet on the school run in the morning who are working from home that they don't need to be in the office and they start work at you know 20 past nine and sure who cares like the work gets done so who cares you know so it's 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 definitely an, it's an interesting time where those things that you're talking about autonomy and uh and uh purpose uh, what was the middle one mastery mastery yeah those three things they're really coming to the forefront like it must be it must be a crazy time for a lot of companies trying to figure all that out it is and like there are challenges with it because you're then learning how to manage people across those different environments. Yeah. So you're and so you've got a managing a hybrid workforce because you're managing some people who have to be in the office all the time. So I mean, and the reality is there will always be some people who have to be in the office all the time. So let's not pretend that this is suitable for everybody because it's not okay whether even taking the reality aside that even when we went into lockdown not everybody could work from home we had frontline workers who yeah. provided an absolute magnificent service to the rest of us by staying at work whether that was in the healthcare whether that was in retail you know, I mean, they kept the lights on for the rest of us yeah. and a lot of them suffered as a result, you know, and so let's not pretend that it was glorious for them because it wasn't. But there's also people in offices that have to be there. There's then there's going to be people who can work full time from home and then there's going to be people who will choose to be somewhere in between. So organizations have to figure out, well, how do we manage across those different groups and there's an uncertainty for managers in that that managers are going to have to learn a whole new different set of skill sets and then there's there's well how do you manage then the whole notion of not just managing different groups of people across different levels of locations how do i bring people together at different time sets to make sure that I get the mix that I need, whether it's from a social point of view, because ultimately we are social animals. Hmm. And I do think that's really, really important that you don't miss out 
on the social aspects of coming together because everybody I talked to when things did start open up and we did go to start meeting people again, everybody going, oh, it's great because I can start having cups of coffee or having lunch or going into the office and chatting again. And there's a great phrase that I came across, you know, creativity happens in the ad hoc moments. And I think that's a lovely phrase, you know, because yeah. you do get the social dynamic leads to the creativity dynamic because it leads to the team dynamic. So yeah. there's all of those little dynamics that happen when you get together. So how do you make sure that they happen, but not in a forced way? Because I think if you force them, then you, you lose out on the actual reality of what happens when people come together. Because we know yeah. what it's like when you put people in a room and you force them to try be creative. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's what organizations have to figure out going forward. If you're going to create this hybrid workforce, what does it mean? Yeah. So in the book, um, does he talk about like the one I'm interested in is, is mastery. Um, does he talk about how to achieve that or does he just say that you should achieve it? Like, is there steps for how, like what, what, what's his definition of what mastery is like just to be the best at your, in your role or is it a sense that you're the best at your role or what, what, what way does he talk about mastery and, and how it should so, be achieved or. So but it talks about mastery as the notion of, well, being, being the best is what you are, you know, and achieving, achieving levels of who you are at the, you know, he talks about, he, he comes across this notion about flow, which I think is really, really fascinating that creating flow in your workspace, that you create this flow, um, that if you can create this flow, which is a mindset and he talks mastery yeah. really for him is a mindset and that you have to have this right mindset to create mastery of who you are um, and figure out what you want to achieve and then work towards achieving it. So mastery is a different thing for everybody. And I think that's the problem with it is, is that what mastery is for one person is, is different for everybody else. One of the things um, that, that it reminded me of is actually, it's a book I've, I talk about all the time. It's actually called Mastery by a guy called Robert Greene. And I've read it probably, I don't know, 10 times maybe, but he talks about, you know, why is it that we still talk about Leonardo da Vinci or Mozart or any of those hundreds of years later? And he, he talks about what mastery is, how to achieve it, um, why you might want to achieve it. And he says that, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of off. I would imagine it's off the, the topic of mastery in your day job, but he talks about mastery being a combination of, First of all, to decide what you want to master, he says, you should think about your, your knowledge, your interests, and your skills. And those mm. three things together will add up into something quite niche that's you know unique to you. He said that becomes then your life's task, the thing that you want to be the best at. And he talks mm. about Da Vinci, and he talks about Mozart, and he talks about um, even uh, more modern people who you might not necessarily know because they're they're still in their field working. But he then talks about you know how to actually achieve mastery and how to learn from people who've gone before you and the apprenticeship apprenticeship stage and uh, how how to move beyond the person who is the current master to kind of you know 
he, he talks about uh, is it Michael Faraday? I think the the guy is all into electricity. Uh, who he was apprenticed, who he apprenticed under, and then how he then eventually had to go against the person he was apprenticing under because yeah. he became better. Now I guess that's kind of off the. That's a bit probably a bit deeper than what that Daniel Pinko's into, but yeah, I'm, well, I'm interested about, in the idea of mastery. Yeah, well, he talks about mastery. First of all, you have to have the right mindset. Then he says you have to work through the pain of it. The pain, you know, yeah, so that's another thing Robert you know, Green talks about. Yeah, you know, the boring the, stuff. Yeah, the boring stuff, like you know, he's, like he he equivalent makes the equivalence of going to the gym you know yeah says so you've got to work a little bit harder each time it says like in it says that if you if you want to get fitter you can't pick up you know 40 kilos and expect to pick up 40 kilos and get get fitter by picking up 40 kilos you've got to pick up one kilo and get yeah. used to one kilos then you've got to pick up two kilos and get used to picking up two kilos and then you've got to pick three kilos and get used to picking up three kilos yeah, and that that's very intrinsic as well. Like to to have that internal drive to want to get better at something, I think yeah. that's what matters as well. Is like it actually ties into purpose. Then is like, are you in a role that you want to get, you want to master? Like that's yeah. I think that's very important as well. And it's like you said yeah. at the beginning there to think about well, what am I going to do next? If I if I go through this boring work, or if I get to a certain level of of mastery, will it help me achieve my next thing? Will it give me purpose to go on to the next yeah. thing? Like so, yeah. He also talks about you'll never get there. So he yeah. also recognizes yeah. that. And that's the source of frustration in it. You yeah. know, he says that mastery is there's an element of frustration in it because you can get close to it, but you'll never achieve it. And yeah. recognizing that is yeah. also a pain because you there will never be perfection in a mastery of anything because there's always something that you cannot achieve. And there's always been some element that you can get better at it's 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 really down to somebody else to tell you that you're a master you'll probably never feel it yourself that like you've mastered something and it reminds me of a one of those motivational quotes but it's a it's one that's always stuck with me because i think it's true that there is no path to happiness the path is happiness and um, like the hard work is the reward that's what i think sometimes if you're doing something and like you said if you're in that flow state that hard work is is the reward like to, to joe and i again when I've done job interviews previously, when I was working for companies, another thing I used to say is I don't, it doesn't really matter to me what the actual work is. I want to solve interesting problems with good people. Mm. And I think that's when you can kind of get into a flow state and kind of, uh, you, you know, work towards solving something. I think that's important as well as to, is to understand that you just want to solve interesting problems. I think that's what most people want to do in their job. Yeah. Well, he believes that mastery which is intrinsic is getting better at something and getting better at something drives engagement and driving engagement gives you purpose. Yeah. And when you have purpose, then you have autonomy. And that is the, the trifecta of yeah. motivation 3.0, you know, and when you have yeah. those three things there, I mean, they're not individual things. They are all connected together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I always anytime I, I, I don't always say, but I, I say it sometimes on this podcast that when we talk about getting better at soft skills, say, for example, whether it's the, the three things you're mentioning there, in order to talk about them, we have to talk about them in in as like individual components. But like you said, in reality, they're all kind of jumbled together and they all kind of overlap and you're doing all three at the same time kind of thing. So, mm. um, yeah, it's definitely it's it's interesting. John, as well. When 
when you are becoming a master of something you, and you do have that purpose and you have those three things that autonomy and all that coming together you become attractive then to other people other people mm. want to work on your team they want to work for your company because there's a communal sense of purpose or something you know that there's it's not just uh making widgets in a factory you feel like you're all on a mission to go somewhere together i think that's like that that, that that's what interests me is that psychology of of how do you build that in each individual so that the collective then are all moving in the same direction? Yeah. And what I find fascinating about this is that, I mean, Daniel Pink has written this book, you know, Drive, about Motivation 3.0. But when you look around and you look at what everybody else has done, I mean, Gallup has done massive amounts of work on this. You know, the CIPD has also done a huge amount of work in relation to, you know, engagement, um, I mean, the Corporate Leadership Council did a massive amount of work back in 2004 on high engagement, and they linked it to what organizations that had high engagement and what it meant for productivity, and that they showed that organizations that high engagement workforces had 20% improvement in performance. Mm. And I go to my clients and say, you know, if I can get you an extra day's work from your teams, that are highly engaged, what would I tell you? And it's nothing to do with pay. Yeah. You know, and they look at me and I'm going, you mean I don't have to pay them more? You know, and it's because if you're highly engaged, you will be, and you will work better. And it's all discretionary. Yeah. And so do none you... of this is new, but for some reason, as Daniel Pink says, what science says and what businesses do are disconnected. And we're making strides on it now and the gap is narrowing, but it hasn't narrowed sufficiently. And whether that's something to do with the fact that a lot of the leaders in organizations are leaders that are motivation 2.0 leaders or that they're, that they're, that their reward systems are still skewed towards motivation 2.0 so therefore how they set things up for success are still old school i don't know but all the research shows that the way for success is not through motivation 2.0 the, yeah. the way for success is as daniel pink says through autonomy purpose and mastery i have two final questions for you before we summarize the book at the end uh do you first of all do you have a hard time convincing people of this and secondly has the pandemic helped grease the wheels like that for like to to go for 3.0 the, the intrinsic motivation do i have a hard time convincing people you either get it or you don't get it kevin hmm. So the people that I have a hard time convincing are the people who will never get it. Um, when I talk to people about it, I do bring in very hard facts and figures with me. So like there, I do bring in evidence-based information of which there's an awful lot out there. I mean, um, like Tara's, you know, Tara's Willis Watson, you know, have done a lot of research on it, you know, um, 
Boston Consulting have done an awful lot of research on this about you know the impact of about bonuses on performance and things like that. So there's an awful lot of work out there. So you can know I can bring I can bring evidence with me, but still you won't convince some people. So, but so therefore, it's a matter of where do I put my effort is with the people who are open to having that conversation in the first place. Yeah. Um, and the second question is around the pandemic. And yeah, did that, that help grease the wheels? Uh... Yes, it did because, you know, like everybody, as I said, two years ago, fell off the cliff. Yeah. You know, and what's really, really interesting, as you can see in quite recently, is the number of organizations that are staying hybrid or the number of organizations that are moving to the four day working week. So organizations that might not stay hybrid, but have decided to move the four day working week. And I think the four day working week is a really, really interesting one where organizations are saying, we're going to keep you 100% of your pay, but you're going to work, work only Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday or whatever it is. And I think that's a really interesting notion and to see how that works out. And that's something that's that's taken hold. A recent survey in Ireland that was um, that, hey, the recruitment company did 6% uh, of companies in Ireland are trialing it. And that's Is quite six or 60, 6%, 6%, 6%, 6% yeah. of companies. I mean, but yeah. that's quite significant because that's only, you know, I mean, that's only in the last couple of years that it's a phenomenon. So, you know, already 6% yeah. of Irish companies. But uh, the other side of that is that in the public sector, you know, it's there's the, the move is in the public sector in Ireland is it's moved back to discretionary control. So it's only at local levels, back to local level as to whether you can you can work from home or not. So if, uh, in the public sector, if your manager says, I want you all back in the office, the manager goes, everybody has to come back in the office. So the public sector is, has not shifted yet to the back to, to the idea of where, okay, we can have a hybrid workforce. I mean, it was announced on the basis of, well, yes, we've got this hybrid workforce and we're giving local discretion but really what that means is if the manager locally decides, no, actually, I want everybody in my office because I prefer to have everybody in my office, then there's no nothing that can stop. There's no policy that can stop them from doing that. Yeah. John, I, I think the, not that the pandemic was um, uh, good about it, but if there was to be one slight silver lining, it's almost like the secret's out that the 40 hour work week has been a load of nonsense for a long time that you don't need eight hours a day to do your job. That if you, you can like everyone, again, I always think of Salesforce When we were there, we had two week sprints and you have your projects to do for the next two weeks. I don't care when you do it, just get it done and we'll talk. And if you need help, let me know. That was the thing. So no one cared if you worked at one o'clock in the morning or if you're on, like if there were certain meetings you had to be there for them. But I mean, there was I had such autonomy, like just to do whatever I wanted, just to get the work done, you know? Well, I, I, when I'm coaching managers and one of the things I say to managers is you have to take time out of your week to stop and think. Yes. Yeah. 
And if you're not taking time out of your week to stop and think, then you're not doing your job as a manager. And I get pushed back from them. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. And what I say to them, I call them out on it. And I say that in a 40 hour week, there are 2,400 minutes. And I do not believe that in 2,400 minutes, you cannot find two 30 minute slots to stop yeah. and think. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say that to managers, you can see the thinking in their head, they stop because 2,400 minutes. And when you put it like that and they go, oh, wow. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. it changes the dynamic from 40 hours yeah. to 2,400 minutes. And then you're I suddenly going to find yeah. two 30 minute slots. Yeah. And then when people suddenly take those two 30 minute slots, because that's all I'm asking them to do is take two 30 minute slots to stop and think. And the difference that makes for your week yeah. is to take those two 30 minute slots to just stop. And it's a starting point. It's not enough, but it's a starting point. It's interesting when you have that 30, if you, and I do that as well, if you take 30 minutes just to close the laptop, stare out the window, whatever, with a pen and paper, 30 minutes is a, is a long, long time to sit with your thoughts. And you, you, can, you, can cite, you can cycle through so much stuff and kind of come back to things and scribble down notes and then, and then go back to work or do like go back to making the widgets or whatever. But I think that's, yeah. I think that's brilliant advice to give people. Yeah. And in the modern era, what's really, really important, as you said, about closing the laptop, it's not time management, it's attention management. Yes. Yeah. So, like, for example, what I do is I sh I shut off majority of all my notifications. So I don't have notifications popping in on my phone or popping in on my laptop. So when people send me texts and when people and calendar stuff and little e and emails, they don't pop in from the side. So I don't get these little distractions. And I'm not saying yeah. that they're not there and I don't go looking for them, but I don't get them popping in. And it's part of you know, if you think about it from what Daniel Pink is saying, but even part of what he's saying autonomy is, is control. Yeah. And part of having autonomy is to take control of what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the smartphone is both the, one of the greatest tools that we have, but one of the greatest detriments to what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So like my, my, the current version of that I have, when I got this two years ago, when I set it up, I didn't put my email on it. Yeah. The good move. Yeah. And again, that was part of my autonomy. Yeah. So that I don't have email on my phone so that I, because you talked about the working week and the 40 hour week and but the downside of it is we can work anywhere, but we can wor work any when. Yeah. Or um, all the time, like you're, if we're you're available all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where autonomy comes in then to decide, well, actually that's it. I'm done for today. I will not be answering any questions from now on kind of thing. Exactly. And so 
the notion of these constant notifications coming in at us is 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 really dangerous mm. because we're hot wired into as human beings to respond to them yeah yeah um shane two things one summarize the book for me in 30 seconds and then tell everyone where they can find out more about you so so daniel pink wrote this book called drive the surprising truth about what motivates us and what he talks about is that what science says about what motivates us and what business does is completely different and what business is still addicted to is motivation 2.0 which is the notion of extrinsic rewards which is i set you this goal and I reward you accordingly and that that has its purpose but that it is very limited and it doesn't drive human behavior beyond a certain point motivation 3.0 which is about intrinsic rewards is far more successful in driving human behavior and that science backs that up daniel pink talks about the notion of the three elements of motivation 3.0 being autonomy that we need to have autonomy over what we do he talks about mastery which is that we have some element of that we work towards achieving something and being better at what we do and purpose that we create our own purpose so that we have an understanding that we it's about us having the idea of creating our own purpose for why we are here and there are the three different elements of motivation 3.0 so that's very very quick summary of that drive by daniel pink yeah it's perfect that is that's a it's so important i think that that um i don't know come to that realization for people that you know how to actually motivate people is it's how to give them that drive is brilliant that's a great yeah. choice of book shane where can people find out more about you so they go to my website organizationdynamics.ie perfect shane thanks a million for being on the podcast it yeah. was an absolute lesson uh, yeah brilliant appreciate yeah. it you could you can also find me on linkedin by the way linkedin just right. looked up shane to me on linkedin so yeah. that's perfect great thanks perfect. shane perfect pleasure kevin thanks very much it was a, it was a delight to talk to you Hey, before you go, just a quick message about Tribal and what we're all about. We believe that true learning happens when you understand, remember, and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast just covered the first part. You now understand the key takeaways from this book. To help you remember them, we will send you three interactive summaries that accompany this episode to empower you to remember those key takeaways at the moment of truth. And then to really embed the knowledge from this episode, you can use the dedicated digital action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways. For all of this and for all of our podcast episodes, head over to mytribal.com. Until next time.